God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. Uh, I personally really enjoy a boxing metaphor. Not that I've ever competitively boxed, but there are some things that I can relate to. Like, have you ever felt in life that you're kind of against the ropes? Everything's just kind of coming at you? Or maybe you've gone through a season where you've just been pummeled by circumstances or relational crises. And, and, or have you ever felt like, man, you've just been hit to the mat? I mean, you just feel like someone cold-cocked you uh, relationally or something. And, but here's the, see, this is the beautiful part about boxing. Uh, you can actually get hit and knocked down and still win the fight. You can actually lose the round and still win the fight. Matter of fact, you can go a step farther. You can lose all of the rounds, and as long as the last bell hasn't rung, you can still win the fight. And there is something in this context that Jude is saying, we have to contend for the faith no matter how far we've been beaten down, no matter what's going on in our lives. We each need to know what it looks like to fight for the faith, the simple truths of the gospel, the core of the gospel, the apostles' teachings. Uh, some would call it maybe the apostles' creed and the way of Jesus. There's just core things. Man, we got we to be willing to fight for the faith. Some of you are saying, Rick, well, why do we have to fight for the faith? Well, Jude tells us in his salutations because there have been people who he calls false teachers, false leaders, who have wormed their way into the local church. They've wormed their ways in. They've infiltrated. And there are people being deceived by their teachings. One of the things that is really concerning to Jude is that they're taking the central core aspect of the grace of God. We are saved by grace. Um, man, that they're taking that as a license to uh, do whatever they want to with their desires and their, their sin. They're, they're saying, hey, as long as we're covered with grace, it's all good. Let's just do whatever we want to do. They're leveraging God's grace in a way that displeases God. It, takes, it abuses the grace of God. And so it is here, man, Jude's saying, this can't happen. You can't, you can't be susceptible to that kind of gospel. It's not the real gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Jude. Come on, man, we're going to go to Jude. It's towards the end of the New Testament. If you go all the way to the book of Revelations, turn left, you're at Jude. And we're starting with verse 17. This weekend's message is fight like this. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, say scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. Verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So Jude is redirecting his attention right now. You may have caught this twice, he says, beloved. Well, when we are in the very beginning, in the salutation of Jude, that's kind of how he started his letter. He mentions beloved twice, verse 1 and verse 3. And so what he's doing at this point is he's changing the direction. He's changing from talking about false prophets to an eyeball-to-eyeball moment with his readers. And he's doing something here that is, is really kind of, I think, exciting and encouraging. He's, he's literally helping you now connect the dots he gave the challenge to fight for the faith. He's talked about the false teachers. Now he wants to tell his readers 
how to fight. Fight like this, he's saying. Fight like this. I think it's interesting to me that he, in this battle plan that he's giving us, you know, he's kind of like a coach actually kind of setting us up to know how we can get in the ring and fight for the faith. Um, he doesn't tell us to kick the false teachers out of the church. He doesn't say, find them, isolate them, and give them the boot. Doesn't do that. He, he says, remember. Okay, we're, we're, it's like, remember. We're, we've talked about Old Testament stories. We've talked about Old Testament characters. We've talked about the apocalyptic text from the, the book of Enoch. But let's go more recent. Remember what the apostles taught you. Many of these readers, first generation, they heard the apostles give warnings of false teachers. And Judah's saying, remember, remember this was going to happen. What Judah's really hoping here is that we'll get perspective, that we're in a battle, that like this is the number one thing we have to do to recalibrate our attention. Remember, everybody say remember. Remember. So what is you saying? He's saying, fight like this. Remember, you're in a battle. That's number one. I'm going to be giving you five different instructions that Jude gives us on how to fight. And I'm hoping that one of these will just reside deep in your soul and you'll practice it this week. But some of you need to like, remember you're in a battle. You know, you need to, that needs to be so upfront with you because of what's going on in your family life, in your, maybe in your workplace, that you're literally fighting for your focus. You have to remember, what are you battling for? We're battling for focus. We're, we're battling for our character. We're battling, you know, uh, with our own desires. We're battling for the local church. We're battling for who we're going to listen to. You're in a battle. It's not just you and the kids. It's not just crazy things going on in culture. It's not about a political party. You're in a battle. And the enemy, who is the devil, is not people, but he'll use people. And Jude says, remember what the apostles predicted. Here's a man of authority who's under authority and saying, we need to follow the apostles' teachings. They, they told you about this. They said it was going to happen. And there's nuances. He said in the last times that these scoffers would come, that as we get closer to Jesus returning, this is just going to grow. This is just going to become more intense. And I want you to know his descriptor that he gives these people who are false teachers. He calls them scoffers. Everyone say scoffers. Let's say it with attitude. Scoffers. All right, yeah. I mean, what do these false teachers, what are they really good at? Scoffing. I mean, some of you are wondering, well, Rick, what is scoffing? What is being a scoffer? Well, biblically speaking, it's, it's someone who expresses scorn and contempt for others whose moral values actually convict them. Jude associates their scoffing with their ungodly passions. The word, the Greek word that Jude chooses is the word soul here. It's connected to the word soul. In other words, uh, some of you are new to Bible. The word soul uh, is, is the heart, the mind, excuse me, the, the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's also many times when you hear the word heart in the Bible, it's referring to your mind, your will, and your emotions, your seat of affections, your passions, your desires. And these teachers, they love calling themselves spiritual. And Judah's saying, they're not spiritual, they're soulish. They're letting their desires rule them, and they're abusing the grace of God to get away with what they want to do. See, in order to justify their own immoral life choices, they mock Christ-like moral values and convictions. That's what scoffers do. And folks, this is just going to grow. But let me tell you, we need to see what Jude says don't do. Jude says don't scoff at the scoffers. 
don't fight for the faith the way they fight for their immoral choices. You're not to become a scoffer. Don't fight that way. And I see believers do it all the time. We end up taking their tactics. We get influenced by their way of battling. We start doing the same thing with them. Jesus says, don't do that. Can we just be super real for a moment? Say, uh-huh, all right. We live in such a cynical time that scoffing has become part of finding your tribe. When Jude says they cause divisions, he's not saying they go and start another church at some other location like the Western world, like we experience here in America. He's saying they, they stay in the, the community of faith, but they create a tribe within the greater group and the greater tribe. And listen to me, Christ followers, they will be present even in our meetings. Don't fight for the faith the way they fight to justify their lives. Don't go that way. This is a really big deal. Why? Because this is a battle. It's not about the person. It's not about being right about your own moral choices. You're in a battle and God wants you to fight for the integrity of the faith, not your personal faith, the faith. And one of the best ways you do that is to keep your attitude and your heart pure. I memorized a passage years ago when I was maybe 18, 19 years old and it stayed with me ever since. It's Psalms chapter one and I'll just repeat you verse one. It says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of the sinner nor sits in the seat of the scornful. There's, there's, a, there's a promise that's, there's, a stipulation with the promise of blessing. Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the way of the sinner, and this last part, who sits in the seat of the scornful. It is so easy for us in our culture, in the dynamics of our society, to sit in that cynical, critical place where we associate with tribes of people that have the same scoffing attitude that we have. But God says, no, blessed is the person who does not sit in that seat. Come on, church. That must never become scoffers. Let's never sit in that seat. Now, Jude doesn't stop there, but that's a big portion. He says, remember, you're in a battle. That's number one. Fight like this. What are we gonna do? Remember, we're in a battle. Some of you are having trouble at work right now, and you think it's all about work. No, you're in a battle. Some of you right now in your families, your marriages, or with your kids. It's so easy to focus on the issues, but you're in a battle. Remember, you're in a battle. Jude doesn't stop there. Look at verse 20. He unleashes these, these next four ways we can fight. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting, say waiting, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now that's a lot. There's four things in these two verses that are powerful. Grammatically, Jude's only imperative or I should say emphatic command is that middle part that says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, Jude is saying, if you can only hear one thing, make sure you understand this, that in, when you're fighting for the faith, you have to keep yourselves in the love of God. He's not talking about warm fuzzies. He's not talking about, oh, it's, you know, fluffy, fluffy, love, love, love. He's saying, no, in this fight, you've got to make sure you remain in the love of God. It's imperative. And the three other commands that you see there, building up your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, and um, waiting on the mercy of the Lord, those are all connected to this one right here. They're participle clauses. They're all, they're all in some ways, subcommands to this. So when you start thinking about how do I keep myself in the love of God, well, the next three instructions are gonna help you know how to do that. And if you can do that well, then you're gonna know how to fight for the faith. 
but, but you got them in. You got to do this. So number two is fight like this. Keep yourselves in God's love. God's love. Earlier in the letter of Jude, he says, man, he calls us beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He is not merely repeating himself here as he's saying keep in God's love. Earlier in Jude, it was the indicative mood, which in linguistics, and you understand, if you understand linguistics, it's stating a fact. So earlier what Jude was saying is, you are kept by God. You are loved in God, not just by God, in God. That's a fact. If you're a believer, you're in a secure place. Why? Because you're, God's keeping you in his love and he is keeping you for Jesus Christ. But this is now the imperative mood. So now Jude is instructing us to keep ourselves in the love of God. So this beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God, he keeps, and human responsibility, we are to be keeping ourselves. And God wants us to be actively involved in knowing what it looks like to remain in his love. In John 14, Jesus talked about it this way. He said, men, you are to abide in the vine. You are to hold fast to your source of life. And it's God's love. It's God's love. It's something, church, we could easily glance over, but because of time, I, I, so some of you, you just need to think through, how do I remain in the love of God while I'm in the workplace? How do I remain in the love of God when I'm in a fight with my husband? That never happens, does it, babe? Never, okay? You know, how do I remain in the love of God, you know, throughout the day? Because it's crucial for you fighting for the face. So the first thing is this, we remember, we're in a battle. Two, we keep ourselves in the love of God. And these next three, they're like subcommands of keeping ourselves in the love of God, but they all deal with fighting for the faith. So here's the third thing we are to do. We're to build up our faith. Jude says, fight like this. Build up your most holy faith. Church, this is why it's such a big deal for Wendy and I, man, to be in a church community. It's been vital for us our whole life as a married couple and raising our children. Being with you makes me better. If you would learn what it means to have a faith community, that it isn't just an event that you occupy or participate on on the weekends, that there's so much more for you in this room uh, with the people that you call your church family. I, it's fantastic to come and be in the love of God with, with the worship, and you can enjoy the moments. And when the pastor's preaching, yeah, man, he can look like an idiot and maybe get your attention on something and draw you back to the love of God. But, but, man, we need each other throughout the week to be building up our most holy faith. See, take advantage of, of our times together. For some of you, this is the only time you're with a corporate group of other believers, and you've got to maximize it, man. And, and so it is. That's, this, man, how do you build yourself up in your most holy faith? You, you structure if you have to. You get involved in a team. You come down for prayer. You linger in your seat and pray when everyone else is leaving. That's okay, too. I want to read you a verse I'm going to press on here. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want you to see how big a deal this was to them. In the early church, it says, all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. It doesn't say one or two of them. It says all the believers. We've got to find a way to make this more. And you know, we're going to do what we can with excellence when it comes to worship, when it comes to preaching. We're going to do what we can to be, be the, the best that we can be. That's still not good for some, but we're gonna do the best we can do. 
And some of you maybe are new to Christ's place. You may think, wow, they're all about pageantry. They're all about the production. No, can I tell you what's more important to us than excellence, more important to us than pageantry, more important to us than productions? It's the presence of God. Don't you move on so quickly that you don't let the presence of God do something in you. Now that verse I just read kind of leads to this, this third way we fight that Jesus says, fight like this. He, he says, man, fight like this. He says, pray in what? The spirit. Pray in the spirit. We're, okay, we need to redeem. We need to remember we're in a battle. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God. We need to build up our most holy faith. And then he says, man, you need to pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Now this language that Jude is using is very similar to the language Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14, also in Ephesians, about praying in the Spirit. Paul used this language when he was contrasting praying in the Spirit with praying with your mind. Or in other words, some translations will tell you praying in tongues, a gift of tongues, versus praying with your known tongue, your own language. And so many theologians speculate that Jude is capturing Paul's wording because people were very familiar with it and he's driving home we have these people calling themselves really spiritual they're false teachers they're not spiritual they're soulish so here's what you do you pray in the spirit now i know that this whole subject of tongues and praying in tongues for some of you that's like wow i came from a background where that was just plain weird or others of you you've never been taught anything about the gifts of the holy spirit and so that seems really out there and you know you think of maybe only people that are experiential and not word driven and I don't know you could have all kinds of stereotypes can I just tell you that it was practiced in the early church not just by the apostles but by believers it was also abused and that's why Paul gives instruction to it in Corinthians but I'm grateful for the gifts of the Holy Spirit and specifically I would love for more of you to be open to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit because I want you to fight for the faith And we can't do it in our own power. We need some intangibles. We need some supernatural gifts of God in operating in our lives. I I love praying in tongues. I mean, just because some of you think it's weird, but I I, I love that gift because there are times, I would say every day, there's, uh, there's someone that comes to my mind and I don't know what you're going through. So I start praying in my prayer language. I pray in the spirit and the spirit, I believe, is interceding for you because the Holy Spirit knows what you're going through. So I love that gift. And I would long to see more people hungry for the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, and, and, and not to be this weird thing out there that you be a very normal person who is very open to not only rational prayers, but, but man, this, the supernatural kind of praying. Now, all that being said, I don't think Jude is being that specific, quite honestly. I, I believe you can be guided by the Holy Spirit in prayer without speaking in tongues. So I think this is more general but he could really be double meaning here. It could be like a double, you know, double word play here. But I really believe he wants you to be guided in prayer. Uh, there's times when I, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day, pretty much. And I find it fascinating that it's really about a corporate prayer because he tells us to pray like this. Our Father, not my Father, our Father, who, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God, your will be done. Uh, and it goes on, Lord, give us our daily bread. Just stop for a second on that. It doesn't say give me my daily bread. It says give us. So sometimes when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, I will have people like Jerry Christensen or, or other individuals in this room right now, your name or your face will come to mind. And if I know what you're going through, man, that's where I begin to pray, Lord, give them their daily bread. Give them what they need, not necessarily what they want, because there's a difference, right? 
Lord, what is it that we need? Lord, help us, help us, man, help us have the right nourishment to our souls. And so we can be guided by the Spirit. We can pray in the Spirit, man, through, through yes, a prayer language by, by the Holy Spirit, but it can also be through rational. It's rational and transrational. But here's the thing. Here's a big takeaway. I've been talking too much about that. To, have, to be able to pray in the Spirit, whether it's rational or transrational, you've got to have a time and place to pray. I can talk till I'm blue in the face about prayer life. Have be a prayer warrior. And here's how you pray. Rah, pray. But if you never set aside time or have a place to pray, it's not going to happen. So if you want to fight for the faith, the integrity of the faith that someday kids and grandkids are, are, are going to, what they're going to find is going to be built upon what you do. And you've got to be willing to make time and find a place where you develop a prayer life and a place where you articulate your soul, where you literally learn to communicate what's going on inside you or, and learn how to intercede for others where you learn to listen because God still speaks. And you start listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're talking, about, we're talking about fighting for the faith. And he says, fight like this. Remember. Remember. And he goes on. He says, man, keep, keep yourselves in God's love. And, and he says, build up your most holy faith. And he says, pray. Praying in the Spirit is key to that. And then there's this last one. He says, wait on God's mercy. Wait on God's mercy. The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, biblical waiting is not passive. You know, like sitting in a doctor's office, that's not biblical waiting. I don't know about you, but I can't stand being in a doctor's office waiting, right? Um, so how do you get a picture of what it looks like to wait on the Lord's mercy, which is eventually leads to this eternal life. What's that look like? Well, biblical waiting is, it means you're doing something, but you're not doing the obvious. When you're holding the door for somebody, it's not that you're not doing something. You're doing something. You're holding the door so someone else can go first, right? That's, you're doing something. And you know what? It could be raining outside. The wind could be blowing. You're in Nebraska. It could be, all be happening at the same time and then start sleeting on you <laughs> while you're holding the door. And what's the purpose? Because you're letting someone go before you, in front of you. And when you wait on God, you're standing your ground. You're showing grit while you let God go first. Many times it's, it's you, man, choosing faith over fear. It looks a lot like trusting God's character rather than looking for his hands. It, it means reminding yourself that life is short. It's a mental shift. Look out how Jude words this. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We're holding the door. We're waiting on God because his mercy isn't fully realized yet. It's, it's, it means we become less, and this is a big deal for some of us right now. God wants you to become less amped about this temporary world and begin to look forward, get this, to judgment day. Did he say judgment day? I said, you yeah, look forward to judgment day. Because that's when his mercy is realized on your life. There is so much more. We think this life is it. And it's, it's just a smidgen to be able to be, you know, with God for eternity. He compared us to the, he's comparing really what we have to what the false teachers have when they have judgment day. It's theirs is the eternal hell, lake of fire. We realize the mercy of God. And it will be amazing. Man, if you have nothing to look forward to, that's like an, a breeding ground for discouragement and depression. And God wants his people to look forward to realizing what his mercy brings you. 
He wants you to look forward to that. See, depression is fueled by hopelessness. And, and really, when you have nothing to look forward to, that's what happens, man. We, we start getting hopeless. Anxiety begins to reign. You can't look beyond today's trials. Jude wants us to be so eternity-minded that no matter what's going on around us, man, we know there's better days coming. It's not a joke. It's not just something religious people say. He wants you to be able to man, hang on and look forward to that day when you're going to see him face to face. And it will be amazing, amazing. He wants to be so eternally minded that we don't get distracted in the affairs of this life and lose sight that we're gonna fight for the faith. Don't confuse this life with the destination. And there are some of us in the house right now, God so wants you to trust him that his mercy will be fully realized that, that you know, even though you don't understand why everything's going on the way it's going on or what's happening in your life personally and you can't connect all the dots, you could be assured of this, that while you may not be able to know everything that's going on right now, you can trust the one you're following because he's a good father, that he wants you to remain in his love. You know, Jude bookends our talk today in saying, remember, you're in a battle. And he closes out with this mercy thing saying, remember, you win, you win. You know, there's coming a day that every single one of us will stand before God. And the truth is, every one of us deserve everlasting punishment away from God because of the way we live for ourselves. We all deserve it. But Jesus came to earth with a new covenant, a new plan for humanity. And he said, if you'll believe in me, I'll give you the gift of eternal life. It's not an academic belief. It's, it's the kind of belief that says, I'll trust my life in yours. If you're willing to confess that, that you can't ever be good enough in your own power. See, that's the issue. That's what the whole Old Testament taught us is we, we're never gonna be able to make it happen in our own powers. That, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some will realize the mercy of God. He would love to rescue you and have a relationship with you. But it's not about joining a church. It's not about an a, a creed that you recite. It's about a relationship and it starts with you being so humble that you ask him to forgive you of your own pride, your own selfishness. And I would love, matter of fact, it would make my day if I could pray with you if that's you today. I'm gonna count to three in just a moment. And if that's you, you know you're far from God. Maybe you once had a relationship with God. Maybe you never have. I'm not talking about catechism. I'm not talking about confirmation. That doesn't save us. He's not gonna be checking to see if you've, you've gone to all the right churches or prayed the right prayers. He's, do you know me? Matter of fact, that's what Jesus said. He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you know him? I'm gonna count to three, and if that's you, I'm gonna have you raise your hand. And I always wanna pray with you. And, and, and believe me, when, when you be honest with God, he's gonna meet you right where you are. And then he promises to send his Holy Spirit to live in you so you can start learning what it looks like to pray in the Spirit. So I'm gonna have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. When I get to three, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand really high. Say, Rick, that's me. I'm far from God. One, God loves you. Two, it's time to come home. Three, if that's you, just shoot your hand up in the air. Rick, that's me. I'm far from God. Now's the time to come home. Anyone on the floor, raise your hand. I think I saw a hand. Up there in the back of the riser, sir, thank you for your honesty. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask you now to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, yeah, everybody pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus 
to die for me. I confess that I am a sinner. And I'm asking today for your loving forgiveness. Come Holy Spirit, live in my life. Teach me what it means to be a Christ follower. I'm all yours. And God's people agreed and said, Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.